Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. I have a treat for you today. We had an amazing guest on the show. Uh, but before I get too far into that, I want to give a huge shout out to my homie, Dre Rocca, who had me on his podcast over the weekend, his ISO 20 podcast. Uh, we had a great time. Always a great time when I get to meet up with Dre Rocca or anybody from the pod community, really. Uh, 27th Hour, Will Wonder, Young OGs, Other Side of the Beehive, uh, all these guys, great, great group of guys uh, podcasting. So um, make sure you check out Dre Rocket too. He's doing a great contest called You Match, You Win. So go follow him on Instagram for more about that and uh, get a chance to win some money and have a lot of fun uh, and get to meet new people. So uh, You Match, You Win, go follow him at Dre Rocket on Instagram. Uh, if you're not following me, make sure you do that as well at Dalton K. Jensen. That's my website as well, daltonkjensen.com. Uh, and uh, you can support the podcast by supporting the sponsors. So uh, whenever you hear about these guys or you see them on my website, uh, there's a lot of great people who had a lot of amazing value uh, to the community. So make sure you're checking that out. And without further ado, I had Jonathan Sherman on, a licensed marriage and family counselor on with a bunch of nuggets on how to improve relationships, both in business and, and personally. So without further ado, Jonathan Sherman, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. Welcome, everybody. This is Dalton Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and, and what you're doing with it. Yeah, my name's Jonathan Sherman. Yeah, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I refer to myself as a relationship strategist. I'm a speaker. Uh, my website is marriageenvy.com. It's called Marriage Envy because I've worked over the years. I've been doing this for 25 years in a lot of different settings, uh, working with individuals, couples, families, mental health, addictions, um, of course, relationship work uh, for a long time. And what, what I've found is that a lot of people, of course, come to counseling, especially when I'm working with relationships with couples, is they come to counseling feeling pretty broken and like, man, they're screwed up and they've got all these problems and it's understandably very problem focused. And so what they're oftentimes kind of hoping is, well, maybe we'll be able to save the marriage, patch it together. We don't really know if it, if we're going to save the marriage, we don't really know what to do. They don't really have a very compelling vision of what's possible because a lot of people don't see what a great relationship really looks like, mm -hmm. right? We have, unfortunately, the, the divorce and marriage numbers are pretty grim. The satisfaction rates are pretty grim. And so what I explain to my couples is I want them to have a third option to what most couples feel stuck between. They feel stuck between two crappy options of one, stay in a dead marriage or one that's not very fulfilling or get a divorce. And mm -hmm. while some, you know, some divorces definitely need to happen, uh, we know that most don't need to be need to happen, but they don't know what's possible. So they feel like, well, either stay in a crappy marriage or get a crappy divorce mm. and stuff. But option three is, is to create what I call the great relationship. Let's learn the things that, that people, we just don't teach in our society that we don't teach in our culture about what actually works to make a, a happy, healthy relationship. How do we do that with these real people that are right here in front of me? And so the marriage envy is coming from this idea that I tell them that I want my clients, my goal for my clients is that I want them to look at my wife's and my, my marriage and say, man, Jonathan and Kara, they've got a great marriage, but nowhere near as good as ours. <laughs> I don't want anyone to envy my marriage. I want my clients to have the enviable marriage 
that they feel proud of, that they're like, look what we created, look what we built together, look what we overcame. And, and, and to have that sense of ownership, a lot of people at best are thinking maybe they'll be able to patch it together. A lot of people don't have a compelling vision that they can have something amazing. Yeah. Wow. You said a lot of, a lot of like really important things in that. Um, and I don't even know where to start really, but so okay. <laughs> you're talking about, uh, you know, mainly marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and relationships, and you're talking about some of the stats. So, uh, so what are some of the stats with like marriages? Yeah, yeah. So depending on which research you're looking at, the, uh, the first, we know that first marriages have about a 45, 50 percent failure rate. A lot of people have heard that. Okay. We don't realize that second marriages have about a 65 percent failure rate, and third marriages have a 75 percent failure rate. It gets worse. Whoa. It gets worse. Yeah. As you're, you're kidding yeah. And so oh, people yeah. think, well, hey, well, we've learned our lesson. We're yeah, going to go. Yeah. And get remarried, and I found this wonderful person, and you know the whatever happened in the previous marriage. Well, I'm moving past that, and we're moving into something good, right? That's a good thing, but people don't realize that the dynamic shift, because yeah. a lot of those second marriages are going to be step family relationships, and most people aren't doing premarital counseling or early marital counseling for their first marriage. Most people aren't doing that for their second marriage. Hmm. So, do you yeah. think people mm-hmm. should do like premarital counseling or like or like counseling within? In the first year or two? Oh, absolutely. Like and even that, if there's no problems? Especially because there's no problems. Okay. Okay. So, and, and, and which is a great point because most people will say, well, we don't really need to get premarital counseling because there's not, we don't have any problems because most people in their premarital, they're happy, right? Yeah, they're, they're looking like forward to getting married. <laughs> yeah. And so I just always remind people is that, well, you know, uh, athletes don't get coached because they have broken ankles. Mm. They get coached because they're strong, capable athletes who know that their coach is going to get out of them things that they can't get out of themselves. Or the other example is I went to college or other people who get their whatever their professional training is in their careers. You go get that not because you're stupid. You don't get that because there's a problem with you. You get that because you know you don't know things. Smart people know they don't know things. And this, these couples who are getting married, if they've never been married before, they don't know what they're doing. And and second, people are getting married in their second or third marriages. Statistically, most people don't even know what these numbers are. And so the, the problem with these numbers, besides as grim as they are, is that 100% of people going into marriage are expecting to be happily married. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, of course. And yet, so regardless of whether it's your first, second, or third marriage, only 25% of couples who are currently married report being happily married. Mm. I don't know what car or house you would buy. <laughs> <laughs> with those kind of numbers, <laughs> right? You know, for sure. And so sure. last times the really so you don't have to have any problems, but what you have going into a relationship is a lack of awareness and a lack of knowledge. And so so many of these reasons that lead to divorce are preventable. But if we don't know it's there, yeah. like if you're driving on the freeway and you don't know that you have a blind spot and you right. turn into a semi, that ignorance costs yeah. you your life. Yeah, And it's not because you weren't a good person. It wasn't because you're not smart. It's because you were ignorant of a, of a blind spot. And that's what happens for a lot of couples. So some of the other research that's out there, some of the other data that's really interesting is that we do know that out of all the divorces that happen, a full two thirds, 66% could have been prevented with just two things. Education. What do we need to know that we just don't know? Yeah. And intervention, intervention. How do we apply that knowledge? with this person and that person with his strengths and her strengths, his weaknesses, her weaknesses with their unique dynamic. 
Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that all marriages, uh, all, all marriages should be saved and all divorces shouldn't happen. There are plenty that definitely they should divorce. And so I'm not here to judge whether anybody's sure. been divorced or not. Um, and some marriages shouldn't be staying together, right? But when we go with the understanding that most people getting married, 100% are wanting to stay married, right? Yeah, when they get yeah, married, yeah. the plan is we're going to get married and we're going to be in love forever. Yeah. The problem is they just don't have a plan. So the other, the other, the other analogy I'll use to answer that, that, that point that you made is like, well, even if we don't have problems is the, is the, the blueprint analogy, right? Okay. You don't, have you ever seen anybody build a house without a blueprint? No, never. Right. They safety inspect (laughs) it. They have to make sure it's up to code. They get so that, so that when you get the workers building the house, they have a clear plan. They know exactly what to do. No one's arguing about, yeah. well, I think the bathroom should go over here. No, the bathroom should go over here. Well, where I grew up, <laughs> we put bathrooms over here. Well, that's just stupid. In my family, we did it this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the bulk of most couples' arguments. They don't have a clearly defined plan. Yeah, interesting. And, and so, you've you've mentioned a couple times that not everybody should should like stay married. And I'm sure you but sure. And and I'm and I'm curious just like what you also mentioned, like some of the signs that like either like this is a sign that you either need to like go to go to therapy go to counseling or like or just like someone who knows better like i feel like there's such a stigma around like the words therapy and counseling but right. there shouldn't be i like first let me say there shouldn't be but is there, there but there totally I mean? is I but there is that. yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah. like uh, if you tell somebody you're in therapy they're like what's wrong and you're right. well not not necessarily anything it's just like i, I just need to know this but what are some of like the signs that would that would lead to somebody to have like a third party intervene or, or at least coach them through these things? Right. Well, and and just uh, as far as just uh, with that first part of the premarital early marital yeah. counseling, the sign is we're getting married. That's the sign. <laughs> Get go, go, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, sh- yeah. you definitely should. I, I mean, I, you definitely have some really good. I mean, I, I don't want to be facetious with your question because there's some sure, really good sure. answers to that question. But yeah. I do want to make a point with that is that. I've said for years, and I realize this may sound self-serving because I'm a marriage therapist. I would be happy to give this advice if I left the field today because I know the research. Yeah. I'd be happy to give this advice if no one came to me and I referred everyone to someone else because the, because the research is a no-brainer. And I've seen so many people be miserable unnecessarily so. And I've worked with so many couples where let's say they come in at the point of crisis where they're like their marriage is dangling by a thread. They've been married 5, 10, 20 years. And within several sessions to several months, everything's turned around. And I've never once in 25 years had somebody say to me, I'm so glad we waited this long to be happy. (laughs) So if we know that premarital counseling is interestingly um, one of the things that can prevent all those numbers, because when people do premarital counseling, they have an interesting experience. The research on premarital counseling is that a full one third of couples who do premarital counseling decide not to get married. We are brought to you by Legal Inc. Estate Planning. Listen, you wouldn't dine and dash, so why would you leave your family in the hands of the courts and the government when you pass away? Most people think they don't have enough to start estate planning or that it's too expensive. Things like wills and a trust. While those are valid reasons, they're limiting beliefs, guys, to creating and keeping the wealth that you want to have. Listen, It's free to talk to Michael to learn more about what you can do today to protect your tomorrow and live your best life. Wills are necessary, especially if you have a home and kids. And a trust is the number one way to build and retain your wealth. So 
It's your life. It's your story. Make it a good one. Visit LegalLifePlan.com to schedule your first conversation with Michael and tell him that the Thinking Project sent you. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And then some. Wait, so did I hear that right? One third of one couples? third of couples who do premarital counseling decide not to get married. No, it's, it's a bit of a romance killer. It'll just it'll just kill the oxytocin flow that's going right. <laughs> you know, all that chemical romance will go. Holy crap. There, there's some real stuff that we've got to yeah, figure well, out. I mean, right. I mean, for sure. Yeah. You don't talk things that we that. just weren't aware of. Yeah. yeah. But then the two thirds who decide to go forward. And I've had some people in some groups, I've said that too. And, and uh, they're like, Hey, you hear this kind of this collective, Oh, how sad. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's a good thing. Any, anybody who's thing. been through a divorce, either as a partner or as a child. And if that could have been prevented before they ever got together, everybody would say, yeah, yeah. Sad, sure. but sure. not a tiny little decimal of a fraction of sadness compared to the hell of going through all the misery of a, of a bad marriage and a, and a, and a worse yeah. divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you might as well know what's going on before. Like I'd right. rather know about a problem up front than, than later. Yeah. yeah. And then those two thirds yeah. that do continue to go get married, they go in well-informed uh, premarital counseling at that point becomes a marriage maintainer and a marriage enhancer. And then the research on, I can't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head for that one, but those who do premarital counseling, their success rates are through the roof and their yeah. failure rates are so low. It's, it's like, it's like people like there are a lot of people nowadays are afraid of getting married. Right. Well, and understandably so, right. Yeah. You know, people should yeah. be terrified of marriage if they don't know these types of skills in, in the research and the, and the methods, then, then yeah, there's a lot, the numbers are scary. We should be afraid mm -hmm. of those numbers, <laughs> but with having that knowledge and having those skills and literally being on the same page, I help people go through and create what I call an our way plans versus his way and her way. It's like a yeah. marital blueprint. So when they have that, it's really hard not to succeed. It's like buying marriage insurance. It's like buying, yeah. it's like getting a, It's like divorce proofing, a fair proofing a marriage. Yeah. So that sign that you asked, what, what signs would tell someone they should go to counseling is go when you don't need to go when you're actually happy, go when you're feeling good, learn things from a place of strength versus learning things from a place of reactive pain and crisis. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, that's for sure. Like, mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the things that couples should be aware of in their relationship to like enhance it? Right. Like you, you know, I think of like the big things like communication and, and, and all these things. And it's just, for me, is there, is there more than that? Like, is there other things that you can do every day? Like generally, I know that, I know that certain specific couples can have specific things, but yeah. do you have like any general stuff. Oh, sure. There's all kinds of things. So, yeah. so going back to, I'll, I'll answer that by answering your first question more the way sure. you're asking it the first time. Okay. Right. So like what things do people look out for? John Gottman, one of the premier marriage researchers in the field, he identified yeah. four, what he called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are the things that signal the death and end of the relationship. And those things are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. As these things enter in, especially as they become a pattern. So obviously, if you're a younger couple or a newer couple, identifying when, you start, when you're getting critical and defensive and you're feeling contempt, resentment towards your partner, when you start stonewalling and getting cold and shutting out. Pay attention to those things early and start to intervene early. However, for a lot of couples are coming, that's been going on for years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any point is a good time to start intervening and interrupting that. And so yeah, one yeah. of the ways to answer the second part of your question is for what are, what are some positive things that couples can do? Like, you know, because everybody says, like you said, communication is important, but what does that actually really yeah, mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Like? Yeah, what does that look right? like? Yeah. 
And so what I typically do is I'll give couples a few, what I call the three meetings, um, which are uh, uh, date night, staff meeting and hunting. And okay. these are areas, yeah. And these are areas where uh, they they address a lot of issues that aren't being that are usually empty or not existent or being done poorly in a lot of relationships. And so I give them to most relationships these three meetings, so that we can interrupt some bad interactional patterns and and habits that have been going on for years that have mm-hmm. been getting in the way of healthy communication. When people say that their problem is that we don't communicate, everything is communication. Yelling and screaming is communicating that how I feel is more important than how I treat you. That's communication. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So there's everything is communication. Not talking to you, I'm communicating that you're not important enough to solve this issue with, or I've given mm. up on you. We're communicating with everything all the time. So it's not that we're not communicating, it's that we don't know how to communicate well. And so these three meetings, for example, the first meeting I give people is date night, which seems kind of like, well, yeah, everyone should go on a date. That's a good thing, right? That's <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah, no-brainer. Yeah. But what's right. interesting, Dalton, is when I ask people, when's, <clears throat> when's the last time they went on a date? The most common answer I get is, gosh, it's been months. Wow. For some, it's been years. And, and as, as, as I go through these five date night rules that I give couples, you'll see that this is a lot more than just going on a date. You'll see that there's a maintenance strategy to this. This dating isn't just a nice thing that I want people to do, although it is a nice thing. And it's not just for romance or enhancing the relationship, although it also has those benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The core purpose is that it's a maintenance strategy. Interesting. And nothing self-maintains in life. Our cars don't self-fill with gas. Lawns don't self-mow. Right? <laughs> right. Toilets yeah, don't yeah, self-clean, yeah. right? Right, right. None of these things happen. <laughs> well, relationships don't self-maintain either. But what happens is people will date and court and woo each other during the dating phase. And then they get married. And it's like they chop off the relationship head and they mount it on the wall and they stop pursuing each other. They stop dating each other. They stop making each other feel a priority. They stop making each other feel crucially important. They go on and they take care of kids and business and yard and house. And then they get into these fights about all these differences they didn't realize they had. And then that, that important bonding courtship goes away. And they don't, they don't nurture and maintain the relationship anymore. So, of course, if you didn't yeah. mow your lawn or clean your toilet or change oil in your car, you're also going to have serious maintenance issues. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. And you know what? Go ahead. No, that's it. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that's, you know, that's a, a lot of good stuff. I mean, a lot of people don't, don't understand that. And I like what you said earlier about um, people who want to, you know, who should do this before they get married. And I really like that statistic of like one third who don't, because I feel like um, we do a really good job at, at hyping it up and right. then no job and then no job of coaching you through it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I feel, Seriously. Like, I feel like that's a pattern, not just with marriage, but now that I'm my eyes are open to that, it makes sense. But I feel like yeah. that's a pattern almost everywhere um, mm-hmm. with this idea that like, you know, it's such an important thing, but you don't know how to do it. And, right. and, you know, that's great. So what made you now, the whole point of this podcast, even though we talk a lot about like advice and, and how to stuff and, and uh-huh. into that, but I, I like to know, um, you know, like w- how you decided to enter this career field, like what made you choose this? Absolutely. And for your, for your listeners, 
because uh, I just gave a teaser of those five date night rules. Some oh, yeah. people are going to want to know what that is <laughs> for the sake of time. I won't go into that. So I, I really like, I really like the focus of your podcast and I'm yeah, excited yeah. to talk about those things, but just so we're not leaving people hanging. If anybody wants, sure. I have a free Let's handout that has the five date night rules and the other three meetings and some marital, marital myths and some other helpful things, hopefully that people can find helpful. Mm -hmm. So if they go to marriageenvy.com, Okay forward slash gr basics okay and you can throw that on your website if you can but yeah, marriage.com forward slash gr basics gr standing for great relationship okay great okay i love so it. anyway yeah, i love it yeah. yes no yeah. that's good though because a lot of people are going to be curious but it's also the benefit is, is they're going to go find you and i hope they yeah, do right on <laughs> cool i appreciate the plug so anyway but to your question though you were saying so how, how did i get what was your question i'm yeah. sorry how do i get get into yeah. this I, yeah i mean like the the story uh, you know the story of like how did this all come to be yeah the the uh the the, the long story is uh um, well, I'll give you the short story. I'll give you both. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Go the, ahead. Uh, go. We got time. We got time. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, when I went, when I went into college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, I fell into a family science class and cause I heard the ratio of girls to men in that class was really, really in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, right and it was, it was a fascinating class. It was a psychology class, but from a family systems perspective. And it helped me really understand a lot about what went on with my family. I have a lot of family history that would explain why I became a therapist in a lot of ways. It's not the only reason, but certainly certain family traumas, um, divorce, custody battles, abuse, things like that, that definitely mm -hmm. led to wanting to make sure that I didn't pass that on in my family and I wanted yeah. to be happy. And, but also kind of spurred from a desire that I, I wanted to, you know, do something meaningful with my life and make a difference in the world. And so a lot of my professors happened to be marriage and family therapists. So I started to get that bend. I was going to, I wasn't going into this field. This was not the approach. I was thinking about becoming a graphic designer, an English professor, a yeah, chiropractor. Wow. I had a lot of different possibilities um, that were interesting to me. This was not on the radar, yeah, um, yeah. but it really started to make sense to me and resonated with me in a lot of ways. And so um, to cut through a lot of, a lot of years that went on, I, I spent a lot of time in different settings, you know, community mental health, addiction treatment programs, uh, abuse, uh, abuse centers, um, working with a lot of broad range of clientele. And one of the things I started to notice is that, um, well, one, I wanted to branch out on my own and do my own thing. Like a lot of entrepreneurs do, right. They see yeah. the limitations of what they're doing and they want to make more money or have more time or more freedom or do something meaningful, yeah. all the above. But I noticed that one of the problems in my field was that I, as a trained therapist, was at a mental health center or a treatment program waiting, waiting for clients' lives to get so bad that they hit the point of crisis, then they got help. Oh, and I thought, yeah. I got a problem with that. Ethically, I got a problem. I'm sitting here waiting. My I've got amazing knowledge passed on to me from amazing people, right? All this wonderful specialized training that we're given, how to deal with some of the most hectic, crazy, heinous situations that humanity has to offer, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm glad that I'm trained to deal with it in crisis, but don't they need this help sooner? They need it way before that. <laughs> way sooner, right? That's why I'm such way a big advocate of that premarital counseling, because it's not just about a happy marriage. When yeah. a couple is well attached, that is something that's missing in a lot of uh, addiction treatment is couples work and family work. Secure attachments is a attachment theory and attachment problems are a big part of what underlies a lot of issues in, in yeah, addiction. Not, yeah, not the only yeah. thing, but there's a lot of things that address that um, mental health issues 
being able to uh, uh, help having a well-informed partner who understands your depression and anxiety is, yeah. is, is, is so valuable. Yeah. Um, that's important. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. Right. Being able to, when you're securely bonded and attached, it's really hard to abuse people that you care about that reduces domestic violence and child abuse. Mm. So this relationship yeah, stuff sense. isn't just about communication and making people happier in their marriage, which is a good enough reason, but it's actually about preventing things from ever even starting in the first place. Mm. And so I had a, I had a real strong desire to figure out how to do prevention. That's how I started doing uh, speaking was one to start marketing my business as I was starting my private practice from scratch. And, you know, for all the entrepreneurs out there who <laughs> listen to this, right. And in your experience, I mean, I started entrepreneuring, uh, you know, starting my practice with zero money, zero business knowledge, no marketing experience. We didn't have social media then. And so I didn't oh, have, wow. I didn't have any marketing budget, right. I, I couldn't buy billboards or advertisements or send out mailers. Now we have this amazingly rich social media, all these avenues where you can do a, a lot of marketing for very little money. Right? Yeah. It's, it would yeah. have been a dream for me at that time. So I'm so <laughs> thrilled for young entrepreneurs. We're getting into it now because man, they can just take their ideas and they have a, they have a place to put them. Uh -huh. And um, so, but, so I started speaking just at the local library because I did it at the library for free because then I could get the room for free. I, I would have preferred to charge, but I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even afford the $50 rental of the room at the yeah. library. So doing it free as a community service so I would do wellness-based things, depression and addiction, because no one wants to show up to that because that's embarrassing because of the stigma, right? Right, right. And so right. these were like uh, uh, parenting your teens or, <clears throat> or uh, uh, stress management or, you know, how to have a lifelong marriage, learning from the masters, oh, wow. you know, positive, upbeat, kind of like, hey, this is, I wouldn't be embarrassed going to something like this because this is something everyone deals with. So there's yeah. no stigma attached. And then people would have a chance to hear a fun, upbeat, informative workshop, giving lots of information to people, practical things they can use. And there's no, I, I never upsell, sold. I, I don't like that. I want people to come. Sure. If I'm going to offer free, yeah. it's free. And if, if I do a good enough job, I'll stick in their mind, <clears throat> which is how it worked. Of course, then I started getting people contacting me later on. But what it did is it helped, it was helped to break down that very stigma that you were talking about earlier, which is a very real yeah. thing, you know, yeah. that they realize that I can go sit passively in a workshop and just listen to this guy talk. And I may have bigger issues going on in my life, but I don't have to expose myself to a stranger. I don't have to just jump right into a therapy session and be vulnerable and not know if this guy is going to be good or not, or if that's going to work for me or whatever. It's, it's a big, it's, it's a hard thing for people to make that decision. So yeah, with yeah. me standing up there in front of them, making them laugh and give them useful information and stuff, they realize, oh, this is a therapist. Oh, but he, he's not cold and clinical. He's just kind of fun and <laughs> makes us laugh. And <laughs> seems like just a regular guy who also knows some stuff. I could right. probably talk to him, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah, kind of yeah. how the referrals started coming in and things like that from all those, all those speaking engagements, a lot of speaking engagements. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you mentioned yeah. you did a lot of those for free. Yeah. A lot of those, a lot of those for free. I can trace all my business to those. And so wow. it was definitely a good investment. All yeah. my Now, fortunately, I'm at the point in my career, my practice where I don't do any advertising. It's all word of mouth. And so I don't ever have to spend any time advertising. I do, I do speaking either for fees or for community service. Cause I just, I think it's, it's good to put good information out there. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, at that other side of of entrepreneurship and marketing, where it's all self, <laughs> it's all it's all driven. Now, it, the, the 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 word of mouth mechanism, fortunately, well, is yeah, feeding and, really well. Yeah, and I mean, when 
you're when you're in the profession you are right therapy mm-hmm. marriage and family counseling mm-hmm. um like how, i've always thought like so there's this thing with when the pandemic hit that i mean I've, i mean people boomed they they swarmed to therapy and, and counseling i think that's a great i think it's great um there was like a shortage though of like mm-hmm. therapists and time yeah so interesting yeah and that was crazy to me do you think like I, I've, I'm like, I, I've got my bachelor's degree in accounting. I'm kind of like a numbers guy. And I'm also kind of like an economics guy okay. when it comes to like this kind of thing, because like, it's just so, in, do you think there's a correlation between the shortage of, of counselors and therapists to this like gig economy kind of thing? Like where you're only making money when you have people um, and, and not a lot of therapists take insurance because um, it's really hard to deal with. Like it's very cumbersome. It's very hard to deal it with. It is. Yeah. Um, you, and, and it's very long hold times. You got to try, you know what I mean? It's just very, yeah. so, and on, and then on top of all of that, it's just, I mean, I, how do you get out of like a gig economy with like being a therapist? When you say a gig, is that what you said? Gig economy? Yeah. 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 So like, uh, you're oh, only, oh, 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 I see. Yeah, yeah. Like I have to book a gig, right. If I eat. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So like, like, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and that's like a very general term for like, uh, you know, gig economists or like uh, artists or graphic designers, yeah, somebody who like great term. I haven't heard it before. I love that term. <laughs> right. That's awesome. But, you, but yeah. basically the definition is, is I'm only getting paid when I have somebody. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's and hard, I'll, like, I'll, you know, how do you do, how do you balance self-care? You know, I know, you know, most therapists don't work 40 hours. I mean, well, now they do. Now they work 40 mm-hmm. plus because of the mm-hmm. shortage. Right. Yeah. But it's just, it, I'm just curious. No, that's a great question. And I, and as an entrepreneur and who's also a therapist, one thing I I love sharing this information with entrepreneurs in general, but also with therapists specifically, because lots of times people don't know what questions to ask or, 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 uh, or, or, you know, or, or how to be vulnerable with it. I'm, I always tell people, I'll answer anything you want to know about the practice, what's (laughs) easy about it, what's hard about it, what I love about it, what I hate about it. Right. So the people can make informed decisions because it doesn't have to be in this field. It can be like any form of small business that people are starting up, which is what, you know, yeah. you're advocating for. I love the work that you do because I'm, I'm passionate about people being successful in their entrepreneurial endeavors. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And um, so, yeah, that's actually was one of my fears when the pandemic struck besides <clears throat> being worried for everybody, but was yeah. in my own self-interest. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my service could be can, can be viewed as as a luxury. Right. Because I, I don't yeah. take insurance. Yeah. I charge a premium fee. I'm not cheap. Um, and it's uh, uh, that could be something when people so many people are losing jobs. Right. I'm yeah. thinking that's the impact on them is going to affect the impact on me. And right. am I going to I mean, I can handle some ebb and flow. But what if it's something that, you know, the, the economy tanks and, you know, you know, that could affect my bread and butter. And that was causing me some worry and stress. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a dip in service. I had a little increase um, in services. So I stayed pretty steady. So I'm very grateful. I know not everybody had that experience, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it really devastated a lot of people and certainly can devastate a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think if I didn't have the strong base that I had, you know, uh, yeah. previous to that and the experience that I have in the field, that it, it could have affected me greatly probably, except like you said, in the pandemic, there was an increase of people reaching out because they were going through so much stress being isolated. Right. right? So it has an impact in, on yourself, on your own mood, as well as your interactions with those around you. 
So definitely people weren't seeing it as a luxury. They were seeing it as an, as a necessity Fortunately, Well, I mean, that was, I mean, I mean, the pandemic was a lot of things. Um, -hmm. and I feel like, and I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm very stoic in the way that I approach things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like, you know, you got to look for the lessons that you can learn. And one of the lessons I think that a lot of people learned from it was, you know, the importance of like, you, you had a lot of at home time, but also like, man, there was so much uncertainty and that can put a lot of strain on people just in general. Right. You know so, true. so especially, especially, um, couples. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. that's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Uh, and as far and as far as like wanting to become a therapist, um, I, I mean, I know a, lo- a lot of people end up pursuing that, and I think it's I think it's great. I think there, but you know, there's not a lot of people that do though. There, there's right. quite a few, but not as many as like uh, as many as other professions, right? Right, right, and it's yeah, yeah and and, it, and it's and, and like any field, right? It's it's uh, there's you know there's 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 great providers and there's average and there's really crappy ones. <laughs> yeah, Subtext, yeah. I'm one of the great ones, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. Right. No, but, uh, but, but definitely the market, the market decides in our, in this field, like in any other one. And I've talked with a lot of, oh, yeah. like, in, like in a lot of businesses, um, including ours, the idea was that you just hang up your shingle and then people, you build it, they will come. And that's just yeah. not how it goes, right? You have to, that's true. in this field and any other field, you got to hustle. Right. Like I said, I'm at the point where it's all word of mouth marketing, where that's all self-running now. But boy, the hustle before that, it was it's it's like it's like the classic saying they say about entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur is someone who's willing to work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 hours a week. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's, but, yeah. But but there's a you know, those those extra 40 hours a week just means that, you know, you get to write your own story. Right. That's right. There's, there's something special about being able to write your own story and write your own check. And write your own check, and 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 entrepreneurs are willing to pay that price because no, when sure. you see someone at at the successful stage of being an entrepreneur, it it's it's a glorious place to be. Mm-hmm. But ask anyone who's who's been an entrepreneur, at least ninety nine point nine percent, they paid their dues, man. They paid their dues, and it was most most yeah. of us have gone through stress, anxiety, angst, uh, yeah, fear. yeah doubt, insecurity to get to the place of success. And that's important for for people to hear, not to discourage people, unless you're really risk averse, you shouldn't be a, I mean, definitely don't be an entrepreneur (laughs) if you're risk averse. But if you're, if you're wondering, if you're really, if you're, if you're a good hustler and you're willing to bust your butt and and do what you got to do to build your, build your business and it's not working, Mm -hmm. don't be, don't be too discouraged because Mm -hmm. all the great successful people I've ever studied have that as their story. Yeah, is that it sucked figuring out how to do their business, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and do you find I, I end up asking a lot of people this just because I, I, I like to get other people's opinion. Do you mm. find that there's a lot of correlation between like what you teach families how to be, and how to be successful in a relationship mm. uh, and how to be successful in business? Direct correlation. Absolutely. I call it family therapy so. for business. I do consulting yeah. for companies as well. And because so much of this, cool. I mean, one thing that's been hot, you know, for, you know, uh, emotional intelligence is a big thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and companies are eating that stuff up as they should. They well, should. We've, be. Yeah. We've been doing emotional intelligence in our field and therapy field behind the scenes. You know, it's only come on the scene in the last 10, 15 years. And thankfully so it's becoming a more mainstream understanding the importance of emotional mm-hmm. intelligence 
when we look at what when, when so for uh, for a while there, I was doing this as a regular basis, working with a company called People Smarts, where we were doing trainings in companies and corporations. And um, but it's all just relationship work, right? Whether it's culture building, team building, leadership training, um, executive coaching, whatever else, it's helping people learn those communication relationship skills, conflict management skills, how to have those crucial conversations, how to build teams effectively. Which is so I just think about the 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 business world is just the macro level of relationships, and the work that I do here in my office is the micro level of relationships. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in, the, in the corporate world, we use cor- corporate speak. Here, we use psychobabble, but it's all the same principles, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're just given a different name sometimes, but it's, but sure. it's the same relationship principle because that's all it really is. In my great relationship work I do with people, I always just say it's, it's all relationships, relationship with self, relationship with others. Yeah, for sure. At home, and, at work. Yeah. yeah, well, and I feel like when, when you start, you can apply the same things. Uh, that you learn in each case. And I really find it interesting, you know, you were talking a little bit about the emotional intelligence rise. And I kind of, and I kind of started learning about that, um, you know, when it was coming out. And there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of stuff on it before, but for, if somebody doesn't know what emotional intelligence is, how would you describe it? How would you teach that? Yeah. One way, the simplest way to think about emotional intelligence is you think, well, like IQ, you kind of got your book smarts, your, your yeah. formal training, knowledge, education, you know, just inherent intelligence, right? Whereas yeah. uh, uh, emotional intelligence is more of your people smarts, your, mm-hmm. your uh, street smarts, that, that savvy, that ability to like read a room or how to handle stress yeah. Yeah. really well, right? To, be, to have a certain amount of resiliency or perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. How to how to handle hard situations in a in a delicate diplomatic way. And yeah, the good news yeah. is with EQ versus IQ, IQ is pretty much fixed. You know, one way to think about IQ and EQ is IQ is like the 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 back wheel of a bike. It's fixed. Mm-hmm. It'll drive you. And there's a lot of value in your native intelligence. Um, but it's the EQ that steers you where you're gonna go. And EQ determines success way more than IQ does. So in, in HR, they have a saying is that they hire for IQ and they fire for EQ. Yeah, for sure. People don't have those emotional intelligence <laughs> skills. And the good news with EQ is that while IQ is fixed, you can't really change your IQ. I mean, you can gain more knowledge, but you can't change your native intelligence. What yeah. you can do is you can, people can learn emotional intelligence skills. Yeah, so if, you, if you're really, if you're not very emotionally intelligent, but you want to learn, you can learn skills. You learn how to tie your shoes. You learn how to speak your native language. You learn how to, how to ride a bike. You learn how to do your job. And these are just skills, fortunately, that are learnable. And that's hope, that gives people hope that it's like, I don't have to be just stuck. If I don't know how to do this, how to manage right. my stress well, or how to read body language better, or how to any number of these, there's so many different specific emotional intelligence skills. But if oh, I don't know sure. this, if I don't know how to have a resilient mindset, I can learn that. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was hiring for sales and when I was training for sales, most of it was just like EQ mm-hmm. stuff, you know, right. how to confidently say anything. You know right. what I mean? Like, like Absolutely. Uh, because it's, I, I believe as like a sales trainer mm-hmm. um, that it's not really what you say, it's how you say it. At, right. So true. <laughs> you know, so true. like I could give yeah. you whatever, I could give you all, everything that I've learned and, and I could write down word for word what I say, but if you can't deliver it the right way, Right. Uh, then it doesn't matter. Then you need to find something that you can deliver the way that, because, you know, I, and obviously that's just one part of it. Like you were mentioning, like confidence is one part, mm-hmm. uh, like being able to notice people, like if they're uncomfortable or if they're not believing what you're saying, like 
how do you like back up and and restart right. and you know yeah yeah man yeah I I I think sales has I think sales is one of those things that also that also has a bad rap sometimes it does. you know a bad reputation <laughs> it, a bad rep, reputation but but um when sales is done the right way the way mm-hmm. you're describing when it's done yeah. where yeah, we've all been sold when you can tell the person they just all they want is their commission they don't oh, really yeah, give a crap yeah. about you or we can right. tell when we're actually being sold by someone who's actually a real human and they actually give yeah. a damn about the person they're talking to and right. they believe in their product and they want you to have the benefit of this product and they want to make a commission too. Yeah. I want that person to sell to me all day long <laughs> because right. I love really good sales techniques and strategies when they're used from an authentic place because good sales is good relating, right? Yeah. yeah good sales yeah, yeah. is good EQ like you're talking about. For yeah. sure. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and I do tell people like you can learn how to, there's some things that you can teach. And that's why I, you know, I, I've never been a fan of like the natural salesman. Like, um, you know, you've heard, like I've been called not very often. I had to learn a lot about sales, but you know, like mm-hmm. you're a natural salesman or you're, and I'm like, no way, dude, we like, well, you can learn this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to like put some effort into it. You got to be able to like, you have to want to like genuinely like have, connections with people. You know, yeah. you mentioned earlier that I was going to yeah. bring up, you mentioned like that, this, this idea of connection was mm-hmm. a, was a big part of, of preventing yes. other things happening. Right. And, yeah. and I learned that, I, I don't know, have you heard of Johan Harry? Have you ever heard of this? I haven't. Guy? Who's that? Okay. Uh, he, he wrote two books, one, two that I've read, I, I really like, but anyway, he did this Ted talk called everything we know about addiction is wrong. And he said the gist of it was the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yes, I have. I watched that TED talk. I didn't remember okay. the name, but yeah, great. Okay, yeah. It's a really yeah. good one. I, I love that, that. When yeah. you said that, I was like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and the only reason I bring him up was because when you said that, I was like, there it is again. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. This is just, the, I mean, when you hear something more than once, you're like, okay, it must not be that crazy. Right. Right. (laughs) I don't think they'd let somebody that crazy on a Ted talk, but I don't know. (laughs) You don't know who knows. right? (laughs) No, but I I do remember that one. That's a really, that was a really good one. I thought that I was, when I heard that, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as like when, you know, dealing with, I mean, in your profession with Mm -hmm. um, couples and, you know, dealing with, do you deal mainly with couples now? You mentioned like you started out in these trauma crisis counseling and things like that. Yeah. So now is it mainly couples? It's it's what I'm mainly known for. I, I call marriage okay. and I okay. call I call marriage envy my flagship, uh, but it's not the whole armada. So I sure, I, sure, I, sure. I specialize working with teens. Uh, for years I was the, the the youth substance abuse coordinator for a community mental health center. So I worked with all the court ordered teens for a decade and all oh, their wow. families wow. and and the and the couples within those families and stuff. Yeah. So and stuff. So <clears throat> it's always intertwined, but so uh, no, but I specialize in a few areas of like depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, working yeah, with teens, one. couples, families. So m- people know me for marriage, and that's the, and, and 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 that's the port that the portal that people come through is marriage envy. Yeah. But yeah. I, but yeah, I, I work basically anything within the family realm is what I'm trained to work with. So from the very mild to the most heinous and everything in between, and the individuals, yeah. the couples, the, the 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 parenting stuff within that, yeah. and the issues they deal with. Yeah. I have a question. You brought, you know, you brought up some of the, the troubled teens and I have, and I've, I've only done a little bit of research on mm-hmm. this. I haven't dug too far into this. So I'd like just some perspective. And like, if I, when I, while I'm setting this question up, if I said anything wrong, just correct me. Cause I, Oh, you're good. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, but as far like so when you're talking about like youth thing, youth uh and they're and in your you're talking like I had a family member with who was diagnosed with ADHD, um, this oppositional defiance disorder, things like that. And then as I'm like learning about this and I'm reading some stuff uh very lightly, you know, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, people were opponents of this were like, why are we labeling it with disorders? May, do we need to look at it? Do we need to look at it differently instead of like labeling, you know, instead of like throwing this as a disorder and then giving kids like this high powered Ritalin or, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just yeah. curious it, since you have experience with that, like what your thoughts are on that. If you, yeah, if you yeah. can answer, so, if, if you want. No, happy to. A great question, by the way. And it's one that, that I get asked all the time by, by parents and teachers okay. and, okay. and people in the system you know, wondering about that. How, how do we, how do we help? Because it's easy to, it's easy to throw on a label for anybody. Right. Yeah. And, and we have to be careful because I don't want to stigmatize anyone. To me, sure. a label is a, a, a diagnosis can be a useful tool if it allows us to create a starting point. We don't want it to become a, a label that is now just an ex, something that pigeonholes somebody or something that limits them, or now it's an excuse for their problem. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a place, it's a place for us to get a diagnosis, is a place to get a starting point, but it's not and have an explanation, but it's not there to give us an excuse. It's there to figure out what sure. do we now need to do now that we know what's going on, what do we do about it? And so, and there are some of these things that, you know, uh, like, so with ADHD, I've, I've uh, worked with ADHD kids and adults my whole career, um, okay. halfway through treating all these youth. After having so many of them diagnosed with opposition defiant or ADHD as well, very common diagnosis that came up with a lot of these kids yeah. is I realized that, oh, this diagnosis explains my whole entire life. <laughs> I, w- yeah. I was yeah. I've been un- undiagnosed ADHD, which, by the way, a very high percentage of entrepreneurs, I think about 80% of entrepreneurs have ADHD. Okay, guys, we're also brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that won't break the bank. And I promise you guys that if you check these out, you won't be disappointed. They've got something for everybody. It's THC free, which means it comes with a work safe guarantee. Whether you need a roll on for your muscles and your joints, you need a sleep aid to get your day ending right, or you need uh, their number two that gets your day started right. Uh, they got something for everybody. Their quality, uh, lab tested, third party tested. It's all good. Go check them out. Happiestmed.com, H E P I U S M E D.com, and tell them that the Thinking Project sent you. Wow. Um, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and not just, uh, you, we, I think we throw in ADHD as like, oh, I have ADHD if I have slight attention. Like you're joking. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, but I mean, like, yeah. a, like a literal diagnosis. Like, like a legitimately. Like a legitimate. ADHD. And so I didn't know that I had ADHD and we didn't have, we didn't know what that was as when I was a kid. And so I was just that, that kid who is always distracting and, and yeah. uh, always getting in trouble and spending a lot of time in the principal's office and in detention and after yeah. school and summer yeah. school, and all yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah. And, and, um, smart kid, but I, I didn't, I always got bad grades cause I, I never did my homework and things like that. So working with all these kids started to come to find out that the research is showing that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a bit of a misnomer um, because there is definitely the deficit side of it. But what we find is that there's, it's actually an attention dynamic difference, not necessarily a disorder. There's a lot of areas where um, I like right now, knowing how the many benefit upside parts of my ADHD 
if there was, if I had a cure for it today, not just a treatment for it, if I had a cure, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the cure because yeah, yeah, then I yeah. would lose certain key elements that make me, that are crucial for me being successful right now. Like one of them as a speaker, I, I've, I've got to be, I got to know how to work a crowd, man. And I got to yeah. make sure that they're laughing and having a good time. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I got in trouble for a lot as a kid was being that class clown. And n- nobody sat me down and said, when I was in the principal's office, I said, hey, Johnny, I know that you're having this problem. And, you know, this really isn't cool to do this, like distract your teacher this way. We yeah. need you to pay attention more. But you know what? Don't worry. Down the road, people are going to pay you to do just what you're doing in class. <laughs> right. It's called speaking. So maybe you should look into becoming a yeah. speaker. You know, it, right. it wasn't, it wasn't I, yeah. ever channeled. Right. So one thing I want to make sure when I'm working with somebody who has optional defiant or ADHD or any of these other things. I want to make sure that as we identify it, we identify not just the problem, but we identify the strengths and what's going yeah. on with this person. So that might work with my clients, whether it's kids or couples or whatever, even, even, while, even though we're dealing with problems, it's a very solution-focused, uh, 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 positive orientation. There's a lot of assumptions of capability, of resilience, that these people have uh, uh, strengths that we're going to leverage in our counseling, and that it's not me doing treatment to them, it's us figuring out together how to co-create some really cool solutions, whether yeah. I'm working with a teen or working with their parents and right. stuff. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to the medication, but I want, um, I want to make sure that the kids are learning skills too. Medication doesn't teach yeah. skills. Right. So I want to, so I've seen a lot of kids where the medication was yeah. a lifesaver. It really changed the game for them. Right. right. And others where it was maybe Absolutely. misdiagnosed and mis mis uh, prescribed and they weren't getting any help. The, the research is really clear that you want to be doing, uh, some kind of skills training, whether it's through counseling or some other coaching or training, whatever you want to give these kids a lot of skills as they're, yeah. baby. And, and if medication is a necessary tool too, I'm not, definitely not opposed to it. The research is there's a lot of benefits on that side. Yeah. And I guess, too. yeah. And I guess the, and mm-hmm. the, you answered my question perfectly and even oh, phrased good. it a little better than I did because yeah, <laughs> I'm not opposed to any of these things. Yeah. I was just like, because I grew up like one, my biggest example that I tell people like before they be, you know, like you said, just to like develop skills and maybe like, you know, and, and learn and teach people how to harness things and mm-hmm. use them the right way. Because like, for right. me, I grew up in like public school thinking that I hated reading right. and, right. and I didn't hate reading. I hated reading the books that they gave me. Right. <laughs> right. I actually, I actually didn't learn that I loved reading until like, a, like 19 years old when I picked up, uh, when I, when I picked up, um, what was it? Uh, it was, it was one of these, the power of positive thinking. Oh yeah. Uh huh. That was like the first, and I was like, holy crap, I love this book. And then I picked yeah. up like a, and, and weirdly enough, like I picked up a biography. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't, I can't remember who was a Frederick Douglass or something like that. And, and I read and I'm like, this is the coolest book I've ever read. And it was right. like, I didn't hate reading. I just didn't want to read Twilight or like The Catcher in the Rye or something. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Good books. I'm not knocking them. I didn't I, like I, them. I, I hear you though, man. Education, unfortunately, can kill the love of learning and a lot of really smart people. Yeah. And, yeah. and especially the kids that don't fit the, 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 the traditional system. And I was raised in public schools too. And yeah. I had a lot of good teachers. I think they were trying. But, yeah, exactly. but a lot of times we don't, people don't know how to reach these kids. Right. Yeah. 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 Kids yeah. like because, you or me or these other kids that are struggling in this way or the other. And so we just go, well, I must not be able to do it or I must yeah, not like reading or I must not be good at this when really it's like, no, no, you're really smart. Let's just figure out how you learn. Let's figure out how you work 
and let's try to, let's figure out how we to adapt that. But when yeah. we have, unfortunately, sometimes education, I'm, and I'm a big proponent of education and I'm a big proponent of, yes. Yes. of, uh, of, of, of the school systems. And I support teachers tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with teachers a lot over the years, trying to help, help them reach these types of kids, right? Cause these teachers, mm-hmm. the vast majority, I mean, there's some really rotten, lousy teachers out there, but the vast majority yeah. are pretty great people who are just busting yeah. their hump for, for no pay <laughs> and, and, and less appreciation, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, but, so I want them to feel empowered that, yeah, you, this, these are some ways that you can reach these types of kids. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, that was in my English class growing up and I agree with you. Like I'm not, you know, I've been, I've been critical in the past, but I've kind of changed my tone because I've grown up, you know, I've talked to people like you and I've, and I've like, okay, you know what, maybe I need to just learn something different and and I'm cool with that. But again, I was like, you know, I grew up in English class and I was like, dude, I, I I would pass science with A's, I'd get physics A's like things. And then I would get like F's in English. Yeah, And they'd be like, what, this doesn't make any sense until I got, again, I, I went to a, co- I got my bachelor's degree in accounting, went to business school mm-hmm. and uh, they were like, we're going to, this is an English class. And I was so terrified, but it was business English. And it was like, we're going to teach you how to like write emails professionally and like sell through these emails and like oh. tell stories through these email or, or like, and write like professionally so that people will listen to you. And I was huh. like, I can get with this. Really cool. You know what I mean? Like this will help yeah. me. Right, because you could, you could see the practical value of it. Right. And that was just yeah. for me, but I can't, like, I couldn't make, write, make up a story to save my life. Like, right. I couldn't, like creative writing. I was terrible because I'm like, I don't. Right. And, and we, and we need know. to tell these kids, we need to tell these yeah. kids like, yeah, you know what? You suck at that. That's okay. Because let's figure <laughs> out how about, how about we spend less time at where you suck. Let's spend more time at where you're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then if you need to do this, let's teach you how to do this dumb assignment that you don't want to do. Let's teach you how to do it the most efficient, quickest way possible. Yeah, so we can yeah, get it yeah. off your plate. Yeah. Right. Now, if it's something where I don't, when I say that you suck at this, I don't want, I wouldn't say that in a way that discourages sure. them. But I, I, get, I get what you're realize saying, that, that it, like, like I'd say to a kid like that who hates reading, like, or doesn't like reading, I'd say, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like you don't like that kind of reading, huh? I wonder yeah. if there's other types of things that you might be interested in. So it, yeah. where we make that assumption that, that it's not that you don't like reading or you, that you can't do this is that, yeah, maybe this type sucks for you. You don't like this kind, or you can't do that kind. You don't, yeah. I don't, I don't believe that we need to make every one of our weaknesses into a strength. I think we sure, need to find ways to leverage our strengths and manage more effectively around our weaknesses. And I think a lot of people in any area of life are feeling so bad about the areas they suck in that they, that they just beat themselves up over it. And they think they should be awesome. Like this other person, I'm like, no, you don't need to be awesome. Like that other person, right. like you're in awesome. Let's figure out what that is. And really embrace that awesomeness and learn to be okay with what areas you suck. Because the problem yeah. is a lot of people, I talk about this, yeah. this whole awesome suck thing a lot, because most people aren't okay with their awesomeness and they're not okay with the suckiness. Most people don't take a compliment well, and they don't believe it. And they have such a terrible, anytime you, they think, anytime someone points out something good about them, they go, yeah, well, but they don't really, they, they can't just enjoy that. Oh, you know what? Someone, some intelligent nice, kind human being said something awesome about me. Yeah. I am awesome. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah, I needed to hear that today and just enjoy it and just kind of marinate in it. Right. And just savor that, that wonderful compliment. Most people don't know how to just enjoy their awesomeness and the parts that they suck. They're willing to look at all the places they suck, but they don't have any compassion. They can't embrace, you know, it's okay that I suck at some areas. It's okay that I don't know how to do everything. I'm not meant to. Yeah. So people yeah. can't embrace their suckiness and they can't embrace their awesomeness. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I've been a big proponent of that for a long time, too. That yeah. like you shouldn't focus on your weaknesses. I, I don't think I think you should know what they are, but then leave right. them there. Like, yeah. you know, and, and that's not to say like like I'm I, I want to be good at something. So I'm going to work at it until I get of course. it. Like, right. Sure. I, and I think that's what you're saying. Sure. Like, there's just some things like like I will never be a fiction writer. Like, right. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? I, th- I think we're both for self-improvement. We're both for self-improvement and, and but definitely, your that, yeah. Like, yeah. If we have, if we have like a, like a toxic weakness, right. Or something that's really sure. debilitating to us, of course, you and I are going to work on that, but there's yeah, other yeah, areas yeah. where it's okay to just say, you know what, I'm not good at that. And that's really okay. And I'm at peace with myself because <laughs> yeah. that gives me, by not having to worry about that, I can focus on really developing what I'm natively either good at or have some inclination towards and I want to build that into a real talent and skill. Yeah. And, yeah. And learn yeah, to and enjoy just, that. Yeah. Yeah. And just and, and knowing like uh yeah, I'm with you on this. And knowing like for me, like we, we reading wasn't a weakness. It was I just didn't like reading Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, it wasn't your thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and I grew up and I grew up uh 40 minutes away from Hannibal, Missouri, where Mark Twain is from. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> you know? wow. yeah. yeah. I'm from Iowa. So like everybody, t- you know, we right on the Mississippi River. So it was very easy for us to read some of that stuff. But yeah, but like boy, it. I'll tell you, it sounds like if you have a self-help book in front of you or a business book, you're oh, going to just sure. devour that, right? Well, I mean, yeah. Or like a, a weird, like, weirdly enough, like I'll read random biographies too. Biographies. You like, that's right. Yeah. I was like, shoot. So I, no, I really appreciate that. And, and the reason again for that was just, I, I, I asked that question just to like open people's minds. Like you said, yeah. like I, my motto is like, don't take anything off the menu, like leave, leave medication on the menu, leave therapy on the menu, you know, and I've had a lot of I like, like that a lot. Like you know, that. I like, I've had a lot of like meditation, yoga, mm-hmm. Reiki. I've had these guys on here because mm-hmm. I'm like, I've, you know, breathing coaches. And I, cause I'm just like, right. Wait, it, uh, you know, if somebody could teach you to breathe better and it solves some of your problems, well, then it didn't cost you any money or, or if it doesn't work right. then, but, but my, you know, right. at the end of the day, I was just like, I was just like, just don't take it off the menu. Just like, yeah. why don't we just like, like keep exploring? You know what I'm saying? Um, I do. I like that a lot. I think I, I to me, I think I, there's, there, the, the, the psychobabble term is uh, equifinality. There's many equal starting points to one final destination. Many oh, ways yeah. to get that, <laughs> right? Or all roads lead to Rome. It's like yours is don't take it off the menu. I agree. People are oftentimes just writing things off without really considering it or at least leaving it as an option because who knows? Maybe it's not the right thing now, but maybe it'll be good later. Wow. And, and to have <laughs> access to more options, I'm a huge fan of. Well, and, and I'm sure that goes along with your practice and in, in marriaging marriage and family. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's not, there's not one way to fix every family. I'm sure. Yeah, there's not. And then to me, I, I, I bow down to the, in my office, I have my own spiritual beliefs, but in my office, I bow down to what I call the God of pragmatism. <laughs> if it works, we do more of that thing. If it doesn't, we chuck it. I don't care how <laughs> precious we hold to, well, that's just always the way I've done it. Yeah, but it ain't working. We're going to get rid of that. You know? <laughs> well, it's good though. I mean, yeah. uh-huh. I mean, there's no reason to waste time. There's right. no reason. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you've been really generous with your time. I, oh. I don't need to take any more of it. But. That went fast. You're a great interviewer, man. You just, oh. <laughs> you just keep the questions coming and, and you've got a good flow to you, man. I really appreciate the invitation to be a part of your podcast. I, Absolutely. Like Thank I said, so I listened much. before we started. I listened to a couple of them already. I'm looking forward to keeping it in my rotation. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. And also, before we leave, mm-hmm. uh, how do people get a hold of you? You mentioned it before, but go ahead. How do people get a hold of you? In social media, uh, websites, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 marriageenvy.com is just 
the best place to reach me for everything else. So okay, cool. if, uh, it, you know, I am on Facebook probably more than anything else. I do have an Instagram and Twitter presence, but I'm probably, I'm an old fogey. So I'm probably more on Facebook <laughs> than, than the younger generation and cool. stuff. But, uh, Wait, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'm Which happy is, to have people uh, uh, join me there, follow me there, uh, friend me there, whatever. So cool. Yeah. We, well, we met on uh, on Facebook, so I'm really glad that we did. And it was this it was this question that I was like, we met because uh, who, what could you talk about for an hour? That's right. Yeah. That was that's the yeah. thing. I I I have to you know that's the thing yeah. with me. Like you got to be able to talk, man. Let's go. And you did. Yeah. Well, you, you had, I, I loved your question and there was a great response from everybody. It was in this, the, the connect Utah group, right? And uh-huh, yeah. My response was, I have it right up here. Cause I was looking at, well, how do we get started? And I said, relationships, <laughs> dating, marriage, parenting, mental health, addiction, psychology, and vintage VWs. And gratefully I get paid to talk about them pretty much nonstop, except for the last one that I pay for. <laughs> the vintage VWs. I want a vintage bus, man. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, you know, if people want to get hold of me, uh, well, first of all, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash great relationships is my main, my main profile. Um, but if, if they hashtag, if they do a hashtag chalk bus on social media, uh-huh. it, my 1969 Volkswagen bus will pop up <laughs> and it's painted in chalkboard paint and uh-huh. it has uh, chalk on the, on the rear window. So anybody can, and a big sign that says drawn me. So anybody can draw on at any time, anywhere. And it's amazing. Talk about connections, the connections that have occurred because of the chalk bus. Wow. Yeah. How did I, how did I just remember that you said VW buses and we're like at the end of this thing, we're going to have to hey, do this again. We got to do this again, just <laughs> on vintage Volkswagen. Uh, well, because dude, that's my dream. My wife hates it, but that's my dream. I'm like a Volkswagen bus. And because one of my favorite places in the world, and I haven't traveled outside the United States, so this is uh-huh. a big claim. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I spent a lot of time in Oregon. Oh, and, I, and my dream is to take a, a, a bus or a van like all decked out and, and just cruise for a month up and down that thing in a van. That is a righteous, holy <laughs> dream that must happen someday. That's got to happen someday, brother. Even if it's one that you just borrow and rent or something. Well, you'll yeah. have to, are you, are you, where, where are you, what city are you in? I'm in North Salt Lake. North Salt Lake. Well, someday yeah. you'll have to, I, I, I don't know if I trust the bus all the way up there, but if you're down <laughs> in my neck of the woods, swing by and I'll let you take it for a spin. All right, deal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> deal. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Hey, really nice meeting you. Thanks for the invitation, brother. Nice Absolutely. talking to you, man. Take it easy. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.